0: bless us with Thank you for the opportunity to come together again and look into your word and learn together as a church body here bless lester as he brings us the message you've given him that so our hearts and minds can be opened we ask this in jesus name amen can you see greet each of you in the name of jesus a joy to be gathered together in god's house again and worship with you today for sermon today i have i 've done a word study, and for those of you in instruction class in particular, perhaps um, here a while back we we talked about studying god 's word the importance of studying it, and the book we 're going through gave us some practical ways of studying god 's word one of them is is to to do a word study to look up a word or a theme in the scripture and uh, I, I enjoy studying that way looking at God's word that way and this morning I for the sermon I've I've done a word study on the word reconciliation or to reconcile this shows up a few times in the scripture and and somewhere I don't remember exactly where or how I I came to that word but it's it's very intriguing to look at at what that all means and how it's used in scripture it's a, I found it an interesting study, and, and the significance of the fact that Jesus Christ is a reconciler is what we want to look at today. So first of all, let's just think about what this word means. What does it mean to reconcile? Maybe the first thing you think about is your checkbook. That's at least what came to my mind. Hopefully you know how to reconcile a checkbook. We do that, and, and when, when we do that, we take um, the account that we have and compare it with the account that the bank has and make sure that they agree. So to reconcile is, is to make sure two different accounts agree. If, if we don't come out with the same numbers, there's a problem. There's a lack of reconciliation. Um, several dictionaries I looked up, and as well as the Thompson Chain reference in my Bible, Um, to bring into agreement or harmony, to make compatible or consistent, to restore to friendship or harmony. And there, in particular, it's referring more to a relationship, to restore to friendship or harmony, to reestablish a fractured relationship. So much of the word of God is actually about reconciliation, even though the word itself isn't used all that many times in Scripture It really is a main theme that runs throughout the whole scripture reconciliation. To bring together in harmony into agreement. And before we can really understand reconciliation, we need to understand God's holiness, or we may not be able to completely understand it, but to grasp the fact that God is a holy God, which means He is perfect and sinless, and that we are sinful two very important things to understand and in fact John preached on that several weeks ago God's holiness compared to man's sinfulness and, and if we if we grasp that we realize that there is a lack of reconciliation there's a, a, a chasm in between there a gap that needs to be crossed our sinfulness and God's holiness I'd like for you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and I'm also going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1. These two scriptures are probably some of the clearest explanations of reconciliation and what it means in the Word of God. So I'd like to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 21. It says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, And then Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. So I'm going to be flipping back and forth between these two, so you may want to keep your finger there back in 2 Corinthians. Colossians 1, verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him, and the him he's referring to there is his Son, Jesus Christ, it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister." I want to point out several phrases from, from both of these passages that kind of give us a picture of, of what reconciliation is in the Scripture. He says that God through, back in, in 2, Corinthians, yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, God through Jesus Christ. And then he says, also uses the word in Christ, in Colossians, in him all the fullness should dwell by and by him to reconcile all things to himself. So he uses these words uh, basically saying through Christ, in Christ, and by Christ, the Son of God, there's reconciliation. He reconciles the world in 2 Corinthians 5.19, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. And he says, reconciling things on earth and things in heaven. So this reconciliation goes beyond just my relationship with Christ, but it's, it's the world, it's creation, it's Heaven, things in heaven and things on earth. And we'll look a little bit more at that later on. And it's about not imputing our trespasses to us. Becoming the righteousness of God. We who once were alienated and once were enemies. He now presents us holy and blameless. That's what reconciliation is. And then he talks about the ministry of reconciliation as well, or or you could say the the um, by ministry means serving it 's the idea of serving, being a servant to and a word or you could say a message of reconciliation that has been given to us if we continue in the faith and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, so we have this ministry this Message of reconciliation that's been given to us, this hope of the gospel that we have. So, I want to dig a little deeper into this. Um, we, we've looked at these two scriptures, but, but now going beyond that into the whole theme of reconciliation throughout scripture. Reconciliation is alluded to many times in the Bible. So there's a, a few verses in Romans I know that talk about reconciliation as well. Um, it's, the word is itself is used in times in, in reference to uh, reconciliation beyond what we're focusing on here about what Christ does, such as a married a man and a woman being reconciled to each other and some things like that. But these two are the main scriptures here that really explain what reconciliation is. But we can find, we can understand reconciliation by going back to Genesis. Um, you remember Adam and Eve were, were evicted, put out of the garden after they sinned. So there God's holy um, standard was broken and man became sinful. And there was a need for reconciliation. I'd like for you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. I want to point out something interesting that I've noticed there, and it's really showing us, I believe, the, the need for reconciliation, and then um, God's work in accomplishing that throughout um, time, and, and we, continue, we know we continue to look toward a time in the future when there will be um, a reconciliation that we have not yet experienced In Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve are evicted from the garden, it says we know that there was two trees. It tells us earlier there was two trees there. One was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and one was the tree of life. And there was a commandment given to them that they are not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But I don't see any commandment restricting them from the tree of life. However, here after they're put out of the garden, God says in verse 22 of Genesis chapter 3, The Lord God said, Behold, a man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim on the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. It appears that that. God realized here, uh, now he didn't just realize this because he knew this all along, but he had to block access to the tree of life because of sin, lest they live forever. And, And it seems like this was God's way of putting a restraint on sin, realizing that if Adam and Eve eat from the tree of life, they will live forever in their sinful state. So God blocked the way to the tree of life. And I think this is showing us that God has put restraints upon sin. The next time we read about the tree of life, then, is in the book of Revelations. If you turn to Revelations chapter 2, here the tree of life comes into the picture again. Um, Actually, there's there's a couple verses here in Revelations, and the one here in chapter two, I'll read. But um, it, this just points forward to um, a future event where this is a letter to one of the churches, and that the John recorded here. And God told him, "To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God." Here we're seeing there's that tree of life is still there in paradise. And to him who overcomes, he will again have access to that. But then if you look in chapter 22 of Revelations, is John's vision, and here's where he actually sees this tree again. And it says in chapter 22, verse 2, in the, mid- in the middle of its streets, so he's seeing a vision of, of heaven, in the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Um, He goes on to say, "How will be be no more cursed, and the throne of God and the Lamb will be there. But here we have that tree of life again, and, and an open access to it. And verse 14, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. So here's John's vision of a future time when sin is eradicated. There is no more sin It has been conquered completely. And there's again access to the tree of life. And there is again everlasting or eternal life. So God has put a restraint upon sin as part of his work of reconciliation. I don't know for sure, but it seems like perhaps if, if God would have not put any restraint in place, could it be that man would have become so sinful and so wicked that he would never have understood God, that he would have completely forgotten God and never been able to understand or come to salvation? We know that God also restrained sin in many other ways throughout this, the, the Bible. He, he brings the flood. That was his restraint upon sin. Man was becoming very wicked, and he decided at that time to destroy the whole earth with a flood. That was a restraint or, or like a check on, on, the, the, on sin and evil. The Tower of Babel was another time when God's people were disobeying him. They were making plans to become more and more powerful, increasingly powerful and, and self-centered, basically. So God um, interrupted their plans, restrained their sinfulness, and he confused them by giving them different languages causing them then to spread out over the, over the earth. And throughout the Old Testament, we see uh, many accounts of war and even times when God sent his people, the Israelites, into war to destroy their enemies. Again, this was God's way of restraining sin. He put in place kings and rulers who also were given the responsibility of restraining sin. It tells us in Romans 13, 4, Referring to the government, he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. That's still present today. We have a government over us who is, has a God-given responsibility to bear the sword and to punish the evil and reward the good, though they obviously do, many times do not follow that. And, and instead reward evil and, and fail to punish or yes, reward evil and fail to punish those who are doing wrong and and um, work against those uh, work against what is good. But God appointed them kings, rulers, governments, to be a restraint upon sin, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So, part of God's plan of reconciliation is that He restrains sinfulness. And then He also gives us the promise of something better. Appreciated Paul's devotional this morning and and his emphasis on on, uh, encouraging ourselves by those promises. God's promise of something better, God's promise of reconciling, again, uh, gives us hope. Jeremiah 24, verse 7 I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Talking about God's people, not just, you know, they were struggling with obeying the law and doing what is right and, and not worshiping other gods. It says there's coming a time when they will obey me from the heart. John seventeen twenty four. here's Jesus, his prayer to his heavenly Father. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Right there we see God's plan of reconciliation, his son and his, his desire to have um, his people with him, present with him. In John fourteen three. Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. These are just a few of the promises that God gives us, that there is a reconciliation, a time when when God's people can be with him, present with him. There's also then the the perfect sacrifice in Jesus Christ, of course, we come to that account in the New Testament, God sent his son, Jesus, to be the perfect sacrifice. He's referred to as a lamb, and the, the Israelites understood that because they had this practice of taking a lamb as a sacrifice for sin. Jesus was the perfect lamb. John 1, verse 29, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world alluding to a reconciliation taking away sin God coming and being present the church also is um, a part of God's plan of reconciliation there in first Corinthians or in second Corinthians five he tells us we have this ministry um, or this this word this message the word there Means um, what is spoken or communicated. It's in the Greek, it's logos, which is used a lot in a, a common Greek word in the New Testament. It means spoken or communicated. He gave us the word of reconciliation. It's for us to pass on, to communicate, and for us to. Um, it's our ministry, our serving or attending to. And he also says in verse twenty that we are ambassadors. And if you look. On in, in the first verse of chapter six, then um, we then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And he says in verse 20, we're ambassadors. We're working for Christ in this work of reconciliation. We're workers together with him as a church. We're called to be in the work of reconciliation and another important part of reconciliation is the ultimate destruction or doing away with, with all sin and, and the final judgment or the punishment that will be meted out upon sinners. We can find a lot of details of that in the book of Revelations, and I'm not going to take the time to to even turn there because it's I, don't, I didn't know where to start. But... Um, Read the book of Revelations, or or listen to the book of Revelations. Sometimes we ignore it because it's hard to understand. But I found it especially helpful uh, to to listen to it. I'm not sure what it what it is about it, but a number of years ago, I I listened to the book of Revelations on an audio Bible, and it was dramatized to some extent. So there was some some noise, background noise, and that kind of thing going on there. But it. it it somehow that left an impression on me of how how real that is, and how um sometimes maybe when when I just open the Bible and read it, I get hung up on well what does this mean or what 's he referring to here, but to just just pay attention to what happens in that um that account, that vision that John saw and how that sin is destroyed um, there is they use the word he uses the word avenge there which means to retaliate to vindicate and to punish god will, god will punish the evil doer and he will make things make things fair in a sense as as people of god we we are called to endure to overcome to and we know that we will face persecution for what we believe and but and it, in this world, it seems like evil just prospers. But God will take care of that someday. He will retaliate. He will avenge. Hebrews 12, um, 26 through 28 says, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more, and he's he's quoting an Old Testament verse in in one of the Old Testament prophets. And then he explains it. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, and he goes on. So he's saying there's a time coming when, when everything that, that can be shaken um, will no longer remain, and only what cannot be shaken and that is the kingdom of God. He says, we have a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Be shaken Only the kingdom of God and what is of his kingdom will remain. Everything else will be destroyed. <clears throat> so there's the ultimate destruction of sin that we can actually, I think, anticipate because there's so many things in this world that aren't fair. When we see evil prosper and good being punished, But God will take care of that one day. That's a promise he gives us. He is the avenger, the ultimate destruction of sin, the church, the sacrifice, uh, the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and God's restraints upon sin. These are all part of his work of reconciliation that we see throughout the the whole account um, in the Bible. Reconciliation is also at the core of the doctrines of the church. If you look in, in our statement of belief and what we believe, as well as what um, we found find written in God's word, but, but especially I'd like to point out several of the, the core doctrines that we have as a church and how that reconciliation is, is really at the core of that or really what's behind that. Uh, it, it's easy for us to Come to the place where we, we, um, we're non-resistant because we're Anabaptists, because uh, God says, love your enemies. But um, reconciliation is really at the core of that. I'd like to, to just illustrate or explain a few of these um, doctrines to you and, how, and show you how that reconciliation is a part of that. Non-conformity to and separation from the world is a doctrine of the church. Something that's taught in scripture that we have, that we believe in and that we practice. The world is controlled by evil desires. And as God's people who are being reconciled to him, he has uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 21, which I already read, but I'd like to just draw your attention there again. You who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. The world is controlled by evil desires, by wicked works, but he has reconciled us. He has reconciled us because he wants to present us as holy so nonconformity to and separation from the world is a doctrine that um, is backed up by the work of reconciliation. It's because God, through Jesus Christ, is reconciling us to himself that we need to be separate from the world. Non-resistance to our enemies. Romans 12:19 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Yes, it's loving our enemies, it's returning um, evil with good, but it's not giving our enemies what they deserve because God is going to take care of that because he is reconciling all things in the world to him. And he has the ability to reconcile those sinners, the evil men, those who are mistreating us, who are working against us. He has the ability to reconcile them to himself as well in the time that we live in. There's a day coming when God will mete out the punishment. It will be too late for those who are sinners. There's the doctrine of separation of church and state. Why do we believe in that? Um, I, I referred to this earlier. The state uses the law and the sword. To enforce, it's their calling by God to use the law and the sword to to enforce what is right, to encourage people to do what is right, and to punish when they do what is wrong. But God reconciles us to Himself. We're not to be part of that work. That is what He calls the government to do. But we are called to reconciliation, to the ministry of reconciliation, where we draw people to God. To where they can receive a new heart and thereby, instead of being controlled by the law, they want to do what is right. God will give them a new heart. That's the ministry that we as the church have been called to do. Rather than enforce by the sword what is right. We also believe in evangelism. We evangelize, we, we are here to tell the world about Jesus and about his work of reconciliation. We evangelize because, as it says in, first, in Colossians chapter 1 there, the hope of the gospel that we have, that we have heard, that somebody brought to us. We have heard of the hope of the gospel, and we are called to take that out to the world. We are ambassadors, again, for Christ. We're working with him, for him. This is why we evangelize. This is why we believe in evangelism, because God is reconciling us to himself. What differentiates us from the world? It is that we have been reconciled. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Reconciliation is an important word for us to remember because I believe it's, it's in a sense, a motivator for us in our Christian lives. You know, we, we, why do we do what we do? Why do we live for the Lord? Why do we aim to, to follow the teachings of Scripture and obey God's Word? Why do we want to know Him? Because He is reconciling all things to Himself. There's coming a day when we can fully enjoy His presence And there will be an absence of sin. There will be no sin sin and no death there. And we will again have access to that tree of life. That should be our motivator in living the Christian life. Looking forward to that promise of reconciliation and taking that message to the world right now. Let's kneel for prayer. Father in heaven, we... Thank you again that you have sent uh, your Son Jesus Christ to this world as a perfect sacrifice, as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Thank you for revealing to us this work of reconciliation, of, of taking our account of sinfulness, reconciling it with your account of holiness for you see us as perfect and blameless help us to be able to grasp this this difference uh, that this, this division that sin has brought and then the work that you have done in reconciling us to you again may we have a passion to take this message of reconciliation to the world to Overcome evil by reconciliation rather than the use of force. Thank you that you have called us as a church in this work and help us to be faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.